This week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. Due to ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, we are recording remotely, so apologies for any poor sound quality. I'm now joined remotely by Graeme Murray, Regional Director with Sherry Fitzgerald. Graeme, thank you for joining me. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me. So, Graeme, I'm delighted you were able to join us today. Obviously, as Regional Director of Sherry Fitzgerald, you have a good, broad view of what's happening in the marketplace. So you might just talk us through some of the current market activity that you're seeing in the residential market now. Yeah, thanks, Carol. I suppose, given that we work in Sherry Fitzgerald, I suppose we get, a, as you rightly point out, a good, broad view of what's happening in the market, both from our, our vendors and buyers. And I suppose, like any Thing, this lockdown or pandemic when it first hit there's always that initial shock or reaction to that and what could happen so I think once we got over that and certainly over the last three to four weeks what we are certainly seeing is buyer sentiment is certainly hugely improved and actually I would say it's actually very positive I think when we look at any of the kind of the deals that we had been doing in January February and into March the vast majority have held together and gone through to completion and actually where there was some buyers maybe stepping back as they didn't maybe know how this is all going to pan out a lot of those deals that maybe didn't go ahead were either re-agreed to underbidders or came back to the market and we carried out the virtual viewings and and we've been actually able to re-agree a lot of the properties for in and around kind of what we were, were getting done in the first place. So I'd actually say there's actually quite a, a good bit of positive sentiment out there right now. OK, that's very positive to hear, because obviously one of the things we discussed in the past number of weeks mm. was the advice that's being given to buyers who had perhaps had agreed to purchase but mm-hmm. hadn't gotten as far as contract stage. Yeah. You know, we were hearing anecdotally that the conveyancing solicitors were advising them either to hold off or to renegotiate. So mm. has there been a high proportion of renegotiation transactions that had already been effectively sale agreed? I would say I would say there's probably a reasonable proportion of our deals that are there that certainly buyers are, are talking to us on, are talking to the vendors on. And I think it often comes down to maybe where there is a buyer side to this, but equally where the vendors are in this cycle as well, because I suppose a lot of our clients have chosen to sell for changes by choice as opposed to necessity, whereas maybe back in a different time in recessionary times, things were different back then. So I suppose it comes down to where the vendor is in the cycle as well. So if they're in a position where they want to renegotiate or, or go forward, then so be it, we'll have a look at that. But I think equally buyers are taking advantage of market where there is actually less competition right now. And actually, to be fair, if we can actually move forward in January and February, we were seeing a lot of competition market because there's less property available for sale. So actually, they were competing actively against other buyers, whereas now actually, in, it can be price dependent. They are not maybe as competing as heavily. So they are able to purchase and move forward as far as one can in today's market. Yeah, I understand. And in terms of the buyers, are you hearing about what's happening on the mortgage side of things, you know, because we know that buyers fall into certain categories and those Mm. who are dependent on a mortgage to move forward, then they are also dependent on their circumstances, their employment circumstances Mm. not having changed. So are you hearing mortgage complications cited as a reason for buyers not proceeding at this time? 
Yeah, we do hear it. Absolutely. And, you know, that is part of the market. Obviously, the vast majority of people, again, if you look at first-time buyer market as well, kind of a lot of people obviously will be getting mortgages. So if their circumstances have changed and, you know, we do hear back from a proportion of those buyers where they may need to come and talk and see, can they renegotiate on the price? But it isn't wholesale and nor is it in a very high level of renegotiation in terms of the value. But there are people's circumstances who have changed or are circumstances which have not changed. And there, and some of the circumstances where they have changed, they are still able to proceed with the purchase and still want to do it, whether that's getting out of rental accommodation or living at home or whatever the case may be. And there are those, unfortunately, where their circumstances have changed quite a bit due to this and unfortunately aren't in a position to proceed any further. So there are different levels, I suppose, when you look at this around whether it's lending and circumstance that affect people's ability to move forward. Yeah, and actually that's something we've been exploring over the previous weeks. And what we know is that there isn't a single policy rolled out by main lenders. In fact, it seems to be very much on a case-by-case basis, which is absolutely appropriate. But where we have a situation where... um, somebody who had was in receipt of their approval in principle in terms of their mortgage. However, you know, prior to drawdown even, so mortgage papers haven't been completed, but prior to drawdown where perhaps employment has been lost or the role has been furloughed for a number of months and we don't know how many months that's going to be. You know, are you seeing any trends in terms of the mortgage providers? I think it'd be hard to say we're seeing a huge amount of trends because you actually just trends, you actually just touched on it there. A huge amount of this comes down to individual circumstance. So what we're saying is, I suppose, we obviously have our own brokeraging service and that, but what we're kind of seeing a lot of is, or the advice would be is to go back and talk to your broker, go back and talk to your bank if your circumstances are changing. Some people's circumstances as I say, have changed, but actually they still fall within the criteria where the lending may not change equally as well. It depends again on type of, you know, where they're getting exceptions, how far, how much were they borrowing, all those type of circumstances. So I think it's quite hard just to throw a kind of generality across these situations. Yeah, and that's a fair point. In terms of technology, you know, Sherry Fitzgerald certainly has mm-hmm. emerged as a leader in the Irish prop tech scene over the past mm-hmm. 18 to 24 months. So in terms of your secondhand residential sales, yeah. have most of your agents got the capacity to offer remote viewing? Yeah, we all do, actually. So all the agents would have the ability to do it. Our company, thankfully, was moving in a certain direction around technology now for a number of years. So while right. <laughs> we weren't probably pa- planning for a pandemic, it's certainly it's one of those advantages that takes place when you've invested heavily in technology. So every single one of our agents can work remotely mm-hmm. and can offer virtual viewings as well. The only circumstance where we may not have a virtual viewing taking place is where we simply just don't have a video for the property itself. But otherwise, we can all work remotely. Uh, we can carry out virtual viewings. We obviously have our own platform as well, MySherryFits.ie. There's over 15,000 users on it now. And that allows also people to place bids. I suppose we're well set up for the position that we find ourselves in. At the start, well, I think in around mid-March, certainly Professor Ronan Lyons had forecast that transactions in terms of secondhand market would dry up quite quickly. Have you seen that happen in terms of new instructions? Have there been any, has there been a significant level of new instructions over the past four weeks? I would say that look, it, it's to be expected because purely everybody's in lockdown. We're not supposed mm. to be out and about and traveling. So of course, there's going to be kind of a drive of instructions that's to be expected. What I would say is anything where we are in a position where we'd had the photographs taken, got the BORs and everything in, we've actually in the vast majority of cases continued to put those properties to the market, working with the vendors and carrying out the virtual viewings. And in many cases, you know, where they hit the right maybe activity level within the marketplace, we're still doing a good number of sale agreements through virtual viewings and taking booking deposits. 
But it is to be expected that purely on the basis of where we can't move around and the structures would start to dry up. But I suppose the good note on this is certainly from our point of view is that all the offices throughout Sherry Fitzgerald will have a good, I suppose, deal of instructions ready to go. So once we're in a position where we can get back out safely, and then we will start listing our properties for sale again, because we do have a number of vendors who are just very keen to get going and move on with their lives. And actually, when we come out of this lockdown, there's going to be lots of circumstances that are going to change and priorities that are going to change for people around properties. So those levels of instructions in the background are going to say are kind of continuing to increase. So once we have the opportunity to get back out there, I do think we'll see a little, uh, certainly there will be a bounce in terms of property coming to the market. But I think, you know, it's to be expected. If you can't have access to get properties listed, of course, the instruction levels will fall back. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about tech being a a great enabler and I'm a huge proponent Mm. of that, you know, and and certainly, actually, it's interesting to speak to you because Sherry Fitzgerald is one of the examples of an agency that is equipped to offer a smart transaction from start to finish, you know, a seamless, frictionless transaction that can happen online. However, we know in theory that that exists, the technology exists and it's Mm -hmm. in place. In practice, we know know that particularly home buyers still want to visit the property and walk inside it and walk around outside. So the technology exists and I would say the limitations that are there are because of the culture shift that hasn't quite happened. So are you seeing any transactions by home buyers, not not investors, but any transaction by home buyers where they are buying properties that they haven't visited just by using a remote viewing technology? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the great thing about it, I suppose. It's probably, I always find markets are very adaptable and people are very adaptable. So if you're in a position where you're looking to move forward, once you've maybe come out right, you've reviewed the market, you've seen what's happening. Don't forget, many of our buyers who are trading up or trading down, first-time buyers, many of them will know properties already within certain developments. Maybe they're renting within those developments, maybe they grew up in those developments. So many of them have a very good insight to what they're actually already kind of getting involved with. So the virtual viewings does take care of a huge amount of that, along with people's own experience of an area and of a property type. We do have a good deal of properties that have already gone, say, the agreed booking deposits taken, and we're going to bring them as far as we can in terms of getting contracts issued from solicitors and things like that. But there are also, I'd say, you know, most of those will want to have a final inspection, certainly inspect the property maybe before committing to signing a contract. But we will bring them as far as we can up to that particular point. And I think that's interesting because we know the technology exists. And so the final the final piece of the jigsaw really mm. is the human element of it and that hadn't changed but it was in the process of changing and it will be interesting to see if this actually speeds up that change yeah i think so i think like even if you take like it's funny when we talk about we have a huge amount of inquiries from people from abroad so people both investors but also people moving back abroad or looking for a base here or taking on an additional property here and they are very comfortable with purchasing and moving forward contracting and closing no issues really on that front and we'll take a Maybe we'll take a visit from a family member or something like that as, as, you know, the good word to allow them to move forward. But I think if you look at things like virtual viewings are here to stay. I don't think there's any change in that going forward. I think if you look at our old way of doing the open viewings, I, look, when that'll start to occur again, it is probably a bigger and wider issue for everybody as opposed to just a state agency. I think virtual viewings, there's a couple of examples where they've worked incredibly well for us. Like it takes out the hassle in many ways for people because 
know, our agent can start off having a virtual viewing with one couple looking at a specific property. And then once they get to know and understand their needs, they can actually show them another three or four properties straight away on the same call. So they can get a list of maybe five properties whittled down to two or three and then set up the maybe viewings, physical viewings going forward. So that'll be a big, big saving advantage in terms of time for both buyer and vendor in terms of getting their properties ready. So I don't see that going away in the future. In fact, I think that's going to be a big thing, a big part of our future, actually. I tend to agree with you. And in terms of because you're regional director, so Mm -hmm. you you get to share the insights of uh, agencies within your region. Mm -hmm. How are they finding things? Are they being used for research purposes by buyers and sellers at the moment? I think that's, I'd almost say that's part of our job, you know, I think. And that's always been there. I think before any client, whether that's a vendor or buyer, makes a decision whether they're going to sell or buy they'll often engage and talk to an agent. So I don't think that actually has changed, to be honest with you. I think whether that's the physical meeting and going out and meeting them at a house or at viewings and looking for information, talking to them about information, that is what we are there as. Like estate agents are property advisors at the end of the day. We do sell property, but we also advise people. And whether that's we're engaged in the sale or not, we are there to help and provide information for them to enable them to make decisions. And I don't think that's, that really hasn't changed. I think whether we're in the position we're in now or where we're before and where we will be in the future, that will always remain. Like we are advisors at the end of the day. How are your members feeling about their local marketplaces at the moment? I think all agents have been, to be fair to them, have been working extremely hard since going into lockdown. And I think it can be it can be area specific or price dependent or price point specific. I would say anything in up to certainly up to say 700,000 is probably the most active end of the market. Obviously, once you start going up the ladder a little bit further, it just naturally buyers are, I suppose, there's less buyers at the top end of the market than there will be at the more affordable end of the market. So I think most of my, my teens will be quite positive about things. I have to say, like, I think you do go through that initial how are we doing with this? How are we going to cope with this? And how do we move forward? But we're well in our stride now at this stage. So I think most of my teams are all, actually, in fact, all of them are very keen to get back working in some sense of normality again. That will change, obviously, for the future and how we do our business. But people still need to move. At the end of the day, when we look at this, I think I kind of touched on earlier, there'll be huge kind of lifestyle choices made after this. People want more garden space. Maybe they want to be more suburban. Maybe they realize the houses were just too big for them. They can't cope or manage it anymore. So they maybe trade down, get a bigger style apartment with bigger balcony space, closer to beaches, walks, parks, all of these type of situations will occur. I think you'll see the dynamic of the market shift somewhat when we come out of this. I hope you're right. In fact, one of the key things we're looking at at the moment are work from home spaces. Mm. So whether it's a home office Mm. or garden pods or alternative shelter uh, that can be put on site. So there's some really interesting things uh, happening at the moment. But before we let you go, Graeme, you might just maybe tell us how you're preparing your member estate agencies to return to activity. Well, this was obviously hugely driven by government guidelines. And there's, you know, we'll work very closely with the different governing bodies and are working very closely with different governing bodies, including IBAC and that as well, in terms of getting back and being prepared. I think it's all quite still fluid at the moment. And we've worked with not only with all of our managers, negotiators, everybody within our own businesses to work out what is the best practical and safe way to return to work as well. So currently still working on all of those guidelines, but certainly we'll have something in place when we see ourselves, I suppose, getting back out much more kind of from I think the 8th of June is the expected date. So I think we've worked very closely with our, our own agents, indeed all the governing bodies. So the priority will, of course, be from health and safety point of view, keeping everybody safe and healthy and indeed from our vendors and buyers point of view as well. 
Graeme, thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. We'll leave it there for now. Our thanks again to Graeme Murray, Regional Director with Sherry Fitzgerald. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm delighted to be joined now by Gavin Coyle, CEO and founder of Safety Freelancer. Gavin, thank you for joining us today. Carol, thank you very much for having me. Gavin, your company has recently released a gig economy white paper. Now, we know the World Economic Forum has stated that the gig economy will be the fourth industrial revolution. What does that mean and what does your white paper contain? In uh, in short, the, the World Economic Forum announced this about a year ago, not knowing obviously that COVID-19 was going to kick in. But there was a major shift and has been a major shift, especially in America, towards the traditional workforce moving in a remote environment. And the figures would show that 30% of the workforce a year ago in the States was actually freelancing or doing some form of gig economy work. Mostly, I would say, in the digital space in the sense that the large tech companies could not get access to great talent to fulfill the needs, the demand within their businesses. That then sort of evolved out into sales and marketing and into more other sort of mainstream occupations. In Europe, for example, 20%, a year ago, 20% of the workforce was freelancing or working within the gig economy space. And then I suppose we've had the explosion of Uber and Airbnb and the likes of Upwork as a platform to allow people to work from home and still make a good earning for themselves. I appreciate that it's much too early to say now, but you know, is the is the this trend going to increase? Is is it how is it going to likely be affected post COVID nineteen? Well, before COVID nineteen even came out, the International Labour Organization had stated that less than one in four workers will be of a traditional nature within in the next twenty years. The signs had already been there; the people were already shifting, and I mm. suppose what we believed were millennials that are coming through now. These particular individuals are selecting people on the basis of skill set number one. And regardless of where that skill set is, they're prepared to engage with that process. So the traditional workspace, office space is starting to look completely different. And you would notice then, and people in Dublin would notice, the likes of WeWork became a very big success overnight obviously funded by major investments in the background and obviously they've had their challenges however you know what we knew was co-working as in oh it's a startup business it's an enterprise small cottage industry business or it's a young tech company those co-working spaces are no longer you know deemed startup spaces they're now becoming you know, part of the fabric of the new way of work. I think today, really, that's what we want to focus on, the future of work and what that looks like for Ireland's planning, construction and property industry. And we know that in terms of the gig economy, construction is a very large provider of roles in this capacity. But I suppose really what I wanted to talk to you today about was because from the oil group, you have a number of different focuses for the business. But in terms of safety freelancer, you might just talk to our audience about safety freelancer and what the platform is and does. So we recognized from our mainstream business, which is Coil Group, that supplies field safety 
professionals around the world to oil and gas profession, uh, sorry, power generation utilities. We'd work with the likes of VSB. We could have anywhere up to 20 environmental and safety people in the field working for ESB on behalf of ESB. But there was we see the shift coming whereby a lot of work that their guys were doing was very admin related. And mm-hmm. it was taking away the conversation or the meaningful engagements that was supposed to be health and safety from the start, which was go out, talk to the customers, you know, talk to the clients, talk to the, the contractors or talk to the vendors, whoever, whatever the business is, and engage and see what the hazards are and try and come up with solutions. Those conversations were starting to get diluted because of the claim culture and of the legal industry mainly requiring more paperwork than actual engagement. And because of that shift, we set up Safety Freelancer. And Safety Freelancer is basically an online platform, a remote working tool, where we have well over a thousand safety, health, environmental and quality professionals that business owners can outsource their compliance in that regard onto the platform. Doesn't mean to say that they can replace their safety officers or their quality manager or their HR manager. But what it does mean is that they can become more productive in terms of what their output is, in terms of their costs within the business, in terms of, you know, what are they actually getting? What are their outputs in terms of what they're spending in that regard? So we have people in different time zones in various different parts of the world, 24-7 online that can deal with any situation in those areas. How are the providers on your platform, how are they preparing for, say, for example, like I understand that you're looking at an international ecosystem here, but just looking at Ireland and Irish building sites, those that aren't essential or social housing sites that have already reopened, the other ones are due to reopen on the 18th. So that's just next week, uh, the 18th of May. So how are your providers on the platform preparing the clients? I'm almost making the assumption that your clients are perhaps smaller contractors, but is that correct? Or what size? What's your typical client? So we we set out with with a view to just targeting the small to medium enterprises, regardless of whether they're in construction, engineering, or retail or manufacturing. Predominantly, we focused on the construction sector because obviously it's a higher risk. And what we've seen is we've now been contacted by large corporates. We've actually been contacted by one of the biggest construction companies in the world, Multiplex, which is an Australian construction company, with a view to changing the way their workforce will work in the future. And not just COVID related, but because the large companies are taking such a massive hit to the way they do business, they've been forced into a digital transformation, whether they like it or not. So I suppose from the top end, we're sort of capitalizing a little bit, I suppose, for want of a better word, in regards to COVID-19. But it, it's it's really, COVID-19 is the catalyst to what was already coming down the line anyway. It was just, this is something that has sped up the process. I understand the response to COVID-19. We know that that's speeding up lots of things, particularly on the digital transformation side of the built environment. But in terms of COVID-19 specific responses, for example, in Ireland, in accordance with the HSE guidelines, we know yes. the Construction Industry Federation has provided comprehensive guidance on this. In fact, I would urge anybody to go onto the CIF website just to take a look at what guidance documents are there and yes. what what tips are there. So I, I suppose what I'm wondering about is, say for our audience listening in here, they're due to go back on site next week. 
That's what right. are the steps they need to be taking? Like, what has changed? Because, you know, one of the important things that you pointed out to me was that, you know, health and safety legislation in the main hasn't changed as a no. result of the virus. So all of those all of those standards and compliance issues remain in place. But what new needs to be considered next week? The document, the Return to Work Safety Protocol that Heather Humphreys, Minister Heather Humphreys had released, which was a very, very good document, very detailed. This is going to cost businesses a lot of money if they don't get it right. There's a lot more detail to be layered on, on top of, as you say, the 2005 Act, Safety Act, in order to comply with COVID-19. So our guys on the platform, for example, have been flooded with calls of how to actually disseminate the information between what the CIF wants what the, uh, and what the safety protocol document wants. Um, albeit there's a lot of good stuff in those documents. To actually get down into the detail, there's a lot of work to be done. For example, somebody needs to be appointed that is a COVID-19 representative for the site. This is a layer on top of a safety representative and a safety officer that has never been done before. That person needs to be trained. So who's going to come up with the training material in order for that person to be trained properly? So we're getting calls on safetyfreelancer.com on the platform to develop training presentations to train COVID-19 representatives. Obviously, the CIF has come up with a really good induction platform, get people in the mainstream and construction onto the jobs. But again, you know, all the protocols for infection, how do you deal with infection? How do you deal with contact tracing? You know, how do you deal with a biological hazard? You know, you know, is your safety professionals qualified to give biological hazard information now, and design policy? It's interesting to hear you bring that up because when we were looking at when we were looking at the new safety protocols, I again would have assumed that biological hazards were something that there was education about and there would be compliance issues dealt with as part of the traditional health and safety on building sites. Great point. Absolute super point. And another main reason why we set up safetyfreelancer.com is because unlike the legal profession where you come out with with a legal degree and you decide to go into, you know, property as your main focus or you go into contract law, commercial law, in health and safety, it's broad. You come out with a health and safety diploma or degree and you just look around for a job and see which one suits you in terms of an environment. But it doesn't give you a speciality. It doesn't give you a specific focus in a specific area. And this is what we notice with when we set up Safety Freelancer is that if we can wider the net, then we can access people from around the world who actually have a degree in safety, but also a degree in biological hazards. People who have written books, people who are, you know, there's lecturers from UCD, for example, on the platform. There's lecturers from DIT on, on the platform. So, you know, it's access is what yeah. people need, access to talent. And we're just okay. not going to get that in the mainstream environment. We need that now. Right. This is something that I wouldn't be aware of. But how does the legislation differ in different regions or jurisdictions? So, for example, you know, if you have maybe an author from uh, so somebody in a very expert position, they would be used as expert witnesses, say, in the US. You know, will they be able to translate that? for application on an Irish site? A very good point again. So the ISO standards try to standardise quality, safety, environmental. And so in, as, a, as a hierarchy of compliance, you know, they try to get some sort of a level of consistency across the world. 
And the likes of ISO has done that. And the NSAI would obviously be a perfect example of educating companies and certifying companies in Ireland to meet international standards. So, yeah, the, the local laws will change. And, uh, you know, we companies that are looking for specifics on specific legislation will need to use local labour people within the area if there's something specific got to do with local laws. But overall, the overarching sort of approach will be the same across many regions, and especially in Europe. You know, we're we're all governed by the uh, European documentations, which which then we convert into local documentation. I, I suppose one of the big issues that we've talked about almost every week on the show for the past two months is the productivity issue. Now, I understand that your focus is on health and safety, which is critical. But we know that adherence to these new safety protocols, we know that adherence to social distancing on site is is inevitably going to impact productivity. And one of the figures reported here was that it could be anywhere between productivity losses of between 33 and 40 percent. So can you see, is there a way to implement new health and safety to the standard of best practice while still maintaining productivity or by minimising productivity losses? That is the key question, Carol. How do we ensure that we can remain on programme and deliver results for, for clients and still bring in all these measures which are on top of existing measures which were already, in some might say, draconian or some might say overburdened on paperwork? We've got we've got to get smart here, and we've got to look at the new way of work. We've got to get embrace it. In that safety protocol document that Heather Humphreys has released, it specifically says that any office work should be deemed taken away from the project and put in a remote environment for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we're talking about the guys on the ground that are actually physically getting the work done are the only ones to be allowed on the job and to have a two meter distance which is kind of going to be difficult in situations. And then we've got to put all these layers of, you know, communication plan, a monitoring plan, the infection control plan, all these policies and procedures and plans, and then the monitoring and the auditing and to make sure that that's effective on top of that is it, it can be done. Listen, it can be done. But mm. if we look at the first rule of let's remove the administration burden away from the front line first so that, People's focus is actually on the physicality of getting the job done. That would be my take home from today's call with yourself is that, yeah. you know, if, if we're distracting people with policies, procedures, that's all good. We all need to have that. But how do we get into a physical environment that we're actually talking to people, we're having engagement with people on the ground, encouraging people and still getting the job done? That will be the critical element for workers. And also to have the backing from the health and safety authority that if they do come on the project, to say, look, you know, here's everything we've been doing. Here's all the paper we've got in place. You know, here's here's the goodwill that we've been putting putting in place on this job to try and maintain distances, et cetera, et cetera. And the HSA, the Health and Safety Authority, really need to support the business community in this in this critical time and not come in and go to go. Look, we're going to stop your job because we've noticed one guy is too close to the other guy. Like this, this, this just can't happen. And that would be something that I would be kind of sort of be vocal about is that we, we the CIF and everybody needs to sort of pull the HSA in here together. Not saying that the HSA won't embrace it, but mm-hmm. we haven't heard really much from them until this until this has now been released. So now they're going to be the enforcing authority. But just to be clear on it, this safety is a protocol document. It's not 
statutory. It hasn't been put into the statutory books and it is a live working document. It's a dynamic document. So it's, it is moving. So, you know, if people are thinking of, well, forget about it, I'm not just going to open the job. You know, that's just, you know, a defeatist attitude. You need to embrace this document because it is there to try and help people work within the unknown to try and get us all back to work. So let's all try and collectively work as best we can to, in the in the spirit of the document and in the spirit of the good nature and the goodwill of the country, the way we are at the moment, to try and get things back together in a safe and productive environment. Yeah, Gavin, that's great. Listen, uh, and that's a great point to finish on because I think it's so important. Thank you so much for being with us here today. And I know we're having this conversation before sites reopen. So it might be interesting to to link back in in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe to see how people are adjusting to these new protocols. And really importantly there, you pointed out that this is a this these protocols are moving. You know, they, it is a movable feast. So when we're back on site at full capacity, it's at that stage we'll realise what works, what doesn't, what needs to change. So I think it will be interesting to revisit this conversation, you know, in another month or so. But for now, we leave it there. Thank you so much to Gavin Coyle, CEO and founder of Safety Freelancer. We need to take another break and we'll be back shortly. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. We are, of course, recording from home as the radio station operates remotely in full compliance with the government guidelines. I'm delighted to be joined now by Healy Hines, founder of Beagle.io and regular guest on the show. Healy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Carol. So, look, most of our audience will be familiar with Beagle.io, but you might just give a quick reminder for any of the newer members. Sure, of course. Beagle is is a bidding service. So what we do is we enable estate agents to move their, their businesses online, power online transactions for estate agents. Excellent. OK, look, before we start recording, you and I just had a quick chat about a pretty worrying trend I was seeing across estate agents, mainly estate agents outside of the capital or in rural areas. But um, it's a trend that's worrying. You know, we've we've spoken to some, particularly in recent weeks, and they're feeling very disheartened by this. And one of the biggest causes that I'm seeing is that, you know, there were agencies, whether they're managing, particularly uh, sales agencies, but even some managing agencies, you know, they, they really just held on. They barely kept their head above water, you know, a decade ago during the crash. You know, the recovery was not what it was promised to be. You know, people held on thinking that things would get better. And as the market recovered, the recovery was patchy. But, you know, um, uh, certainly legislation and compliance became more onerous. Profit margins were just, you know, quashed completely. And yeah. now we're facing into this again. And it feels like it's almost too much after the trauma of the of the past decade. So I've noticed the worrying trend right across Ireland, the agents I've spoken to over the past month, you know, they're they're feeling very defeated by this. So you're selling into um, estate agencies up and down the country. How are you finding things? Quite similar to what your own uh, your own experience is there, Carl. Like a lot of people, they, these businesses, the industry, much and all its headline figures have shown price increases and there's been a worrying trend and talk about um, rental rises and all that kind of stuff. The actual volume of sales transactions that have moved through the property market are, are still relatively low. 
we're, we're still looking at kind of 45, maybe 50,000 transactions in a year in a market that, that would have normalized have had 100,000 transactions in a year. Mm-hmm. And the property prices in most of the country are still below construction levels. That, that's a, a, a real issue for 90% of, of the country. So when, when we look around, a lot of the estate agents, as you say, they held on for the last 10 years. There's been very few businesses that actually went out of business. Um, most estate agencies, they cut back, they kept going. They're family-owned, family-run businesses, as I well know. Mm-hmm. And they, they kept their head above water, keeping their teams together, hoping that things were going to start getting back in shape. And they were getting back in shape. The, the prices were starting to come back up. Volumes, more importantly, were increasing because that, that's really the key to the business. It's about the number of transactions mm-hmm. that get run through the average estate agency. Um, like they, they're they're more than happy to see the, the number of sales increases rather than prices going up or down by, by five or ten percent, especially at the margins that Irish estate agents operate on, which are at, at the lowest end of of world scales. So a lot of these estate agencies were 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 running very very lean. They were starting to see come things picking back up. They were they were starting to breathe again, looking at expanding their businesses and and growing again. And 2020 was looking to be a very good year for, for a lot of them. Um, and then that, that the steam got taken out of the sales to a huge extent. Like a lot of them trying to get back to the businesses that they had before. And the issue is that that market doesn't exist anymore. It's, yeah. it, 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 Ten years have, have moved on. And the, 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 the businesses that were there were so traumatized by what had happened they were just trying to get back to where they had been before, not realizing that that, that world doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And there, there, there are actually better ways of, of doing things. Um, so, yeah. Do you know, look, I, I, can, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And, you know, it, it's something that I think we probably need to address head on. Um, you know, actually, only this week I was chatting to, um, I was chatting to an older gentleman in, in the West of Ireland and, you know, he said to me, but you're, you're always selling prop tech. And I, you know, I, I had to explain to him here, look, I, I'm absolutely not. I, I, apart from the fact I don't sell any prop tech, you know, I'm not even here to sell the idea of prop tech. We're really just telling you that the industry is evolving. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. And, you know, uh, agents shouldn't need to be sold on the idea of survival. And look, the harsh reality, not every business deserves to survive and the market will decide that not the business owner in a lot of cases so all the business owner can do is add value to paying customers and you can only add value if you and your business and your services are relevant and I think that's where the disconnect is people are really struggling to see how they add value um, that aligns with the technology that the consumers want to use and the way they expect their frictionless transaction and that to me seems to be the breakdown yeah like if you look at, at that digital transformation that have taken place even the financial sector has transformed the last two to really get moving are the legal sector and and the property sector and they're, they're, the main reason in my opinion for that is because they're they're they're, they're high um high price low volume transactions mm-hmm. and even though everybody knows the system is broken it doesn't work it works well enough that the fear of change has been putting a lot of people off changing what they've been doing. Yeah. The people who are, who are in the industry, it's a ver- it's bricks and mortar. It's, it's a risk averse 
type of, of environment. And the, diffi- the difficulty is going to be either the stakeholders in the industry change or somebody from outside the industry comes in and changes it for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a huge challenge that's out there. Uh, do you know, I, I actually think you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, I, I saw a graphic doing the rounds, uh, an image doing the rounds on um, social media last week. And it, it's funny, but it's one of those funny because it's true. And it was, you know, a graph of what's driving digital transformation of your industry and of your business. And, you know, they had, you know, was it top down? You know, was it... Was it a buying in innovation? And inevitably for the property industry, it's going to be COVID-19. So what are you, because you're already in, um, you've already been in this space for the last number of years, um, your technology is already at work with agents right across the country. What kind of trends are you seeing and are your, uh, the agencies who are using your technology, what kind of trends are they seeing over the past six to eight weeks? Well, what, what we've looked at is we, we, we decided because we have, we, we take live information about the sales of the transactions that, that, that are running throughout the country. So what we looked at, we looked at the period of January, February, March, April 2019 versus the same period in the previous year. Just to see, see what, what, the, what market trends had been emerging mm-hmm. and what kind of impact had had um, taken place as a consequence of, of COVID-19. So in essence, what, what we had seen was that, that the market had been improving significantly in 2020 versus 2019. There was actually more activity coming through. Um, there were more bids per property coming through in 2020 versus 2019. The activity level was increasing. The duration of the sales was actually dropping significantly. Mm-hmm. So property was, was effectively selling faster um, with more people interested in it in 2019 than it had been in the same first quarter okay. of 2019. Okay, and just to put this in context, you're basing this on the research that's come in over a billion euros worth of private property bids since yes. January 2019. Yes. So that's so a significant a that's a significant base from which to draw. Yeah, we, we we've had like over a billion euros of bids have come through the system, and over three and a half thousand people have actually placed offers using our technology mm-hmm. um, over over that period. So we have a very substantial base from from which to to work from. So we have the, the trends that we were there, I think, are quite reflective of, of the way the market had been performing. So what we had seen, the, the change from what we could see started to come through in the latter part of March, really. Okay. Um, the, 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 the bids, the, the real, um, the first kind of indicator was that the bids for sales started to drop off and trend downwards in March of 2020. In March 2019, for example, there were 10.2 bids for every property that, that went sale agreed in that particular month. Mm-hmm. 9.1. That was the first month in which those figures had, had been reversed. Uh, um, um, just Can I just get you to repeat those figures, Healy? The line dropped slightly sure. there. We know that in, so looking back to last year, you were seeing an average of 10.2 bids per property. Yeah. So how has that changed this it, year? There were 10.2 bids per property in March of 2019. And in March of 2020, mm-hmm. it was 9.1 bids per property. So there were there were less bids per property coming through in March of 2020 than there had been in, in March of uh, 
of, of the previous year. We then saw that that trend continue into um, April and it really uh, crystallized in April. Like, for example, in April of 2019, there were 6.6 bids per property and that dropped to 1.3 in April of 2020. So there was a huge disconnect between those two figures. You, you could make an argument that, you know, 9.2 yeah. versus 9.2 or 10.2 versus 9.1 is effectively, it's less than it's been. So it's quite tight between those yeah. two figures. But to see such a substantial shift between 6.6 to 1.3 is, is a phenomenal drop. Um, in the level yeah, in fact, the I would... Yeah, I would actually probably then take that just into 2020 and show that's a significant difference between March and April of this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like it, it, from 9.1 in March to 1.3 in April versus 10.2 right. to 6.6 in, 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 in the same period of 19, uh, 2019. That, that's a phenomenal okay, so drop-off. It is, but let's let's try kind of just dig a little deeper as to why that might be. And I understand it will be anecdotal, but um, you know, is it fair to assume that that's because people bidding in March, uh, possibly in early March, were still able to see the the properties, or uh, possibly had done their research and viewings in February, whereas by April yeah. that wasn't possible. Exactly, like the digital um, digital tools. For providing for remote viewings didn't exist in in in, in March, and people weren't weren't, weren't for many, even for many agents, they weren't yeah. some maybe for rental, but not particularly for sales. So um, the the social distancing, I know a lot of estate agents haven't even reopened viewings as of yet. They're still not doing them, so they're dealing mm-hmm. with tenants with with viewers who had looked at sales previously, or maybe doing you know remote viewings, video viewings, going sale agreed, and then potentially. Uh, completing those transactions once the people can get in and, and take a look at them. Um, so that, that was one of the, the major trends coming out on that. Yeah, and actually, you know, there, there's actually an unfortunate sidestep to this, which is um, in early March, inquiries to PropTech Ireland increased by 250% over uh, the, the first 10-day period of the COVID-19 restrictions prior to shutdown. And in fact, for the first time, we had agents who had never used uh, virtual virtual reality tours or any type of remote viewing technology. We had them trying to bring in technology, but there simply wasn't the capacity there. They didn't have the time or the resources to do what needed to be done. So, in fact, as an almost next next best thing, we had agents go out and do walkthrough videos using their smartphones. But actually, so there was an interest in bringing in the technology, but mm. the people providing this technology, they were already at capacity dealing with their routine clients who are doing this on a regular basis. So it was very difficult for people who hadn't or for agencies that hadn't made the jump. Um, so the appetite was there. They just, in my experience, didn't know how to go about starting. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today, because, you know, there, there's a feeling amongst some agents that have almost been avoiding uh, digital transformation of the industry. You know, there was then a feeling, have we left it too late? And that, of course, isn't the situation. You know, there's definitely things that can be done now. So, uh, you know, stepping away from the agencies that you've been providing into for the last number of years, you know, for, for the particularly regional agents across Ireland who haven't embraced um, online viewing and online bidding technology. 
What's the best steps to take to get started? The best step to do is go on to Beagle.io and send me a message. We'll we'll hold your hand from there through. Like we our our technology connects into your existing infrastructure. So with, with our technology technology is designed for people who don't want to use technology. Like our average user is on the system for less than four minutes at a time. Um, so th- there's no steep learning curves what we're actually doing uh, and you know, we've actually increased our team in in april of 2020 we've actually doubled down on our technology investment and taken on more software developers because we, we do feel that there there's the, 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 there's an opportunity out there now for agents in the new market that is emerging to to, to really t- take advantage of of the opportunities that are now presented technology exists and I think it, for those who started looking at digital viewing and moving more into using technology to assist their businesses, it's it's not that it's once you've made the leap, it's not that scary. Like your business is, is not going to be taken out of the loop as a consequence of using technology. Um, the technology is there to assist the businesses in continuing to operate and operate mm-hmm. with with the resources that, that you have in hand. For managing remote teams, like you, you might be thinking there, saying, "Okay, am I going to reopen the office? Am I going to work a, a locked door? Am I going to have two people in, three people working from home? How do I do all this?" That's where online bidding comes in because it keeps your remote teams digitally connected, no matter where they are. So if an offer mm-hmm. comes in on a property at seven p.m. when when the, the, the viewers are, want to make those offers. You know, and all your agents know exactly what's happening, as does your vendor, if you want them to, without yeah. you without you having to get involved in it. So, so the 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 follow ups and the drop offs and all the communication problems that happen as a consequence of the old system that are there simply go away. Mm-hmm. Um, Healy, just before we finish up, yes. you know, it's one of the things I point out um, every time you're on the show, and we're very grateful that you do come on to share your insights. Um, you are one of the only prop tech providers that I'm aware of across Ireland and the UK that has quarter of a century experience of being an estate agent and running an estate agency. <laughs> and I think it's at times like this that that really shows, you know, it's I, I think maybe there's a better understanding that not all uh, that not all prop tech solutions are necessary. That it's important to prioritize at what's going to have the immediate benefits first. You know, so this is something that I really would point out to estate agencies. Now, first of all, it's not too late to to actually start the process of dig- getting toward digitally transforming your business. It is an absolutely necessary next step to stay relevant with the cons- with consumers because consumers want to be able to use your services in a different way. And as Healy points out there, you know, it is not about taking estate agencies out of the loop. At this time, it's about um, showing estate agencies how they can add more value by using the technology that's there. So look, I would echo your sentiment there, Healy, and say as a first step, for agencies around the country that are feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment, go on to Beagle.io and just work out the best next steps. And that's good enough for now. Um, so, Healy, thank you so much for joining us today. I always appreciate your insights. Um, and again, it'll be interesting to see how this 
um, how response to COVID-19 actually moves more traditional agencies along because we think that that's a trend that's inevitably going to happen. So my thanks again to Healy Hines, founder of Beagle.io. And that's it from us today. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, our thanks to Peter Rice on Sound, a show producer, Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Tallon, and all the team here, stay safe.